0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of JavaScript Jabber. Today on our panel, we have Amy Knight. Hey, hey, from Nashville. AJ O'Neill.
1: Yo, 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 coming at you live from Hematoma.
0: Myself, Dan Shapir, playing the host. And we've got two guests this time, both of them from the same company, the company I think whose name is Sneak, but we'll learn about that more in a bit. And our guests are Brian Vermeer from the Netherlands and Liran Tal, also from Israel. So hi, you guys. Hey Dan. We usually like to start podcasts with like a quick introduction of our guests. So you, know, you choose who goes first. But if you can give us a brief background about yourselves, why we we should know about you, what makes you famous in the community, and what's the stuff that you want to talk with us about today? Go for All it,
2: All right. Cool. Oh, okay. I'm the least famous one of us two, <laughs> probably. So um, my name is Brian Vermeer. I am based in the Netherlands, in a city called Breda, which is close to the Belgium border. What I do, I am a developer advocate and engineer for Sneak, and you pronounced it correctly. Amazing. What make me famous? I don't think I am famous at all. But what we do is we try to get that... Well, we, we try to talk about security and get security and make security easy for developers. That's, that's the basic goal we want to strive. And that's within the JS ecosystem, but it's in many, many different ecosystems uh, that we try to do that. And, uh, well, we have our leaders and our people that make a lot of noise about that. And I think that's the point where Aliran comes in because he's very much more famous within here than, than I probably am.
3: Yeah, no, not famous, but I'm probably mostly known for my role around the Node Security Working Group, Node.js Security Book I wrote, and, and things around that. So just that, like Brian, I'm trying to advocate as much as we can for developers and security around those spaces and you Node know, and JavaScript so Brian is, uh, is completing me in a sense. He's coming from the Java ecosystem. So I think a constant engagement between us is trolling each other back and forth. And that's the fun part of,
2: of the day-to-day job. Cool. I'm glad he still finds it today. He still thinks it's fun. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good thing. So the, the, the work relationship is still healthy. That's, that's good to hear
4: leveling up is important i spend at least an hour every day learning ways i can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book if you're looking to level up i recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want you can get it free by going to audibletrial.com code that's audibletrial.com code
0: well, when a Java and JavaScript developer can get ad- along, that's definitely a good thing. You know, despite the commonality in the name, <laughs> tend to there tend to be significant differences in outlook on life and stuff. By the way, Liran, talking about famous, I think that you also made a notable contribution to Web Page Test recently.
3: Oh, indeed, yeah. Thank you for noticing that and mentioning. We've actually reached out to Patrick; he's a great guy, and we worked on adding the you know the, the security part of performance testing. <laughs> just giving you a whole uh, 360 kind of view when you test websites so you're now educated about security issues in your in your websites as much as we can tell about them.
5: We should talk about that. That sounds really interesting.
0: Definitely. Yeah, good thing we have Liran on our podcast <laughs> then. So you know what? Let's talk about that. Why not? Let's let's start with that even. Webpage for those or for those of you who don't know is an excellent online utility. Uh, that you can just go to that website, webpagetest.org, put in the the URL of your webpage, and then it just does a whole bunch of tests on it. Essentially, it loads it in a virtual machine somewhere. You can specify where, where, emulating whatever browser or actually using whatever browser you prefer and recording all the activity that takes place. So it records the, the network activity, It records the CPU activity and so on and so forth because they actually have access to the virtual machine itself. They have a lot of information about what's going on and then they present a really detailed view. So for example, in the context of the network, you get an excellent waterfall of all the network requests, when they started, when they finished, so on and so forth. You can also see screenshots, so you can correlate between resource downloads and what a visitor actually sees at any point in time. And then you added stuff to that. So maybe you can tell us in more detail what exactly you added.
3: Yeah, that's, that's a really good description of what list is. I guess worth noting, it's an open source project, so you can run it, you know, host it if you needed to or just, yeah, trigger the, the public API and just use that. And indeed, it, it kind of focuses, it's, you know, for created, you know, buying for the web performance community and has a lot of, like, top metrics, like first buy time, you know, keep alive enabled of those, like, top-level scores. I think it tries to do some accessibility. I'm not totally sure, like, you know, to which extent. But, yeah, what, what was essentially missing is, you know, giving giving users to use that as security score. So whatever we can tell them, I think it's worth noting that, you know, there's no, like, it's not a pen testing tool. There's nothing like too aggressive and obtrusive about it. It's anything that we can figure out about what you're actually using, you know, from externally testing a website. And basically that is, we have access to figure out the DOM, right? Whatever JavaScript libraries you're, uh, you're actually using. And the other part is we know uh, from the server responses which HTTP security headers are being returned. So if you're not if you're having like a content security policy or you're not having that, we can note those things. So I would say the the major success with Web Page Test enabling and having security by default is the fact that we're now having you know a ton more users and developers you know using Web Page Test super aware about their security their security posture for for the website right. And I think that's like the most important thing. And as they go and explore what kind of score they got and you know what are the what are the steps needed to fix it and and make things a bit you know in a in a safer state? You know we're giving them tools and actions and how to make that happen.
0: So in case people aren't aware how it looks at the top right hand side of the web page test results screen, you got uh, you get grades from A to F, and they also have a color code, so it's easy to tell whether it's good or bad. And I think the the first one on the left, like the first the very first score. Is actually the secure the new security score that you added, sure. and then if you click it, then you get to that part which actually I think describes why you got the score that you got and what you should focus on on improving or fixing or rectifying whatever. Correct. Sure, indeed. So I think this is inc- that's in- very cool and very useful, and I think also indicative of the kind of stuff that you're doing and the things that we're going to be talking about today, which is introducing tooling that help developers create more secure software, correct? Yep.
3: It's kind of kind of the goal, right? Like how do we make security easier? How do we make it part of the workflow rather than something, you know, that's you know adding more friction. So we want to lower that down and make it easier for you as a developer to fix whatever security issues are there. And yeah, I think Brian can can we've done a bunch of things. Super interesting Brian Brian has been leading some of them. So Brian, do you want to share more about some of the other experiments that we've been doing?
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think the key point in this is that as a developer, you have a, a certain way of working and everybody's way can be different. Either you want something that is included in your IDE or myself, for instance, I'm more of the common line tools. So instead of forcing you with a certain tool that works in a certain way, We try to integrate our capabilities of scanning, for instance, your your dependencies for vulnerabilities. We try to integrate that in many different ways. And one of the things we did recently was we created an extension together with some folks from the community, and that extension is called VulnCost. It's for VS Code. And what we try to do there is intertwine that, that knowledge we have about a dependency right into into your ide so if you for instance try to import a certain package you will definitely see it directly in line if that package you're trying to import that that specific version if it has vulnerability or not and by by click of a button if you can fix it up by moving to a newer version or not and that's we try to do that in many different ways like for instance When you're actually coding, so you have a a JS file open or TypeScript file open, but also if you're editing your your package.json, for instance. So in many different ways, because we found out that developers just work in, well, have different ways of working and we want to help them out. Instead of creating new process, like how to do it, we want them to adopt the tooling that fit their process. And I think that is the most important thing if you want to supply tooling for something like security.
0: So you said, what was the name of the extension again, exactly?
2: Vuln cost. Vuln as in vulnerability and the cost on, yeah, how much it costs, how much depth you actually create with that. So
5: I'm about to add uh, it right now.
2: (laughs) It is part of the VS Code marketplace and it has a logo with a little little padlock on it with a dollar sign on. And if you install it, what it immediately tries to do is it looks at, if it's a standalone JavaScript file, it parses out the JavaScript files and looks, using an API, it looks if there are known vulnerabilities. And it picks the latest one because at that point, we know not exactly which one you're using, unless you are using a CDN or so in that kind of fashion. But otherwise, if you're using NPM, for instance, we're usually looking at your whole project and we are looking at which version you actually imported and show you which version it is. And if you connect it to an existing sneak account, which we need for the remediation advice. Which is actually free by the way, but we need to access that, that part of the API. We needed to we needed to have a token for that. Then you can actually have that advice like, Okay, you're using a version one point two and you need one point two point two, for instance, to get it to get it fixed, to get that specific vulnerability fixed that is in there, or to lower the amount of vulnerabilities. And to get it as easy out as that, we believe that that will engage developers more to actually fix it instead of leaving it first creating the new features and afterwards trying to fix it, which we found out costs a lot more frustration or it yeah. <laughs> makes up for a lot more frustration and a lot of rework because it then people found out that that they are using that they need to use a newer version and that actually break the break of broke API. And then we that's that's the hassle. so if you import it and you see it right away, then you can already figure out hey, maybe I should use the newer version.
5: Just to give people listening like an idea, because I literally just installed it. I'm not seeing anything in my files yet, but I'm like looking at your documentation that's pulled up in VS Code. So it kind of looks like, reminds me of like ESLint, where it's just going to like underline where it is. And then like it's I can see like somebody's importing express or requiring express. And there's, it says there's like six vulnerabilities.
2: Exactly. And it shows uh, inline, it shows the number of vulnerabilities and if you can fix it or not.
0: In terms of the remediation suggestions, is it essentially suggesting just to update to a version that has a fix for that particular issue?
2: Yes. What we do is we look at the package and a package can have multiple vulnerabilities. So that means every vulnerability can be fixed in a different version. But then we look, okay, what is the common version in that that fixes all of them or if That fixes the most vulnerabilities, let me say it like that, because it can still be that there is a vulnerability that cannot be fixed yet. That is the remediation advice we give. Because if you use a version that is way outdated, and then it can be that in a newer version, say a newer bug fix, one of the vulnerabilities is is fixed, but three versions up, more vulnerabilities will be fixed. So we give you the nearest version that actually fixes the vulnerabilities That, that will probably not be the latest and greatest, can be, but we will give the one with the smallest delta that does remediate as much vulnerabilities as possible.
5: So outside of you know using it in VS Code, are do you guys build out other tooling as well? If, I guess what if let's say I want to like update something in package.json and then I do an npm install. Do you guys have tooling around that as well?
2: Yes, yes, definitely. We have, we have all sorts of tooling available. I think the easiest way is to to download the Sneak CLI that can basically do everything and is in, is in some ways is the engine for a lot of the other stuff that we do by doing a sneak test with that CLI if you're authenticated with a free account. If you do that in the root folder of your, well, in this case, your your, your Node application... It will pick up your package.json. It will look at the dependency tree. It will actually, it will get our dependency tree, sends the dependency tree over to our side of the system. And we just cross-check if there are any vulnerabilities, what the severity of the vulnerabilities are. And if there is a, remedi- a remediation advice and what that remediation advice can be. And then we show you basically inline or in your terminal we show you in a report of what should you fix to or what or to what version should you upgrade to fix what kind of vulnerabilities and that is the way you do it on your local machine but we can integrate with CI systems in in, in that part. You can connect your if your your repository to our SaaS solution and basically scan it on a daily basis. That you get that you get actively notified when there is a new vulnerability found or a new fix found for a vulnerability that was already there. We do a bunch of integrations for for other ecosystems as well. So we have all bits and pieces that. In the baseline, we do do the same thing, looking at your third-party libraries and see if there are known vulnerabilities and what the severity of that is. But we we can supply that information to you in very different ways and in very different stages of your software development lifecycle.
3: Yeah, that, that CLI is pretty pretty versatile having so today it can also support and scan things like Docker images, which you know usually developers also kind of maintain and use. Or if you're like you know on the advanced okay. side of 2DSRE like think Kubernetes and stuff like that, we're also scanning those. So it's kind of like a one CLI to rule them all and be very handy in those aspects.
0: I was away from the podcast for a minute, so hopefully I didn't miss something that you said. But I just to verify something, uh, to make sure that I understand the tool, the the extension for VS Code, which is free, that gives you information just within your development environment. Again, going to your database, assuming you've got the token. But if I want a more of an enterprise solution. That works, let's say, with a team of developers or integrating with my DevOps processes, CI/CD, whatever. Then I would use one of the the Snyk products, correct?
2: Exactly. You can use yeah. one of the Snyk. I wouldn't sneak
3: position sneak it. To, yeah, I wouldn't position it specifically as an enterprise thing because you just might do that for like a small team or like you know your open source project. So you could still connect it and you know win the whole, all the same stuff, you know, getting an automatic pull request to fix it and so on. So it's all part part of like the offering, which is anyway free. So.
0: Cool. But in, in the, so the VS Code extension, that just provides me essentially all this information from within the development environment. And I can just click it and it will just go and patch the package JSON for me automatically? Or does just, or does it just point out the problems and then I would need to go and, and patch the package JSON?
2: It points out the problems in this case. For now, we look at, the, at what version you're using and to what version you should remediate, and then you have to do that yourself. Because if we do that by the click of a button, we feel like we are too intrusive into the process of a developer. So now you can choose if you want to update that one, or maybe even use a newer version. So we give you all the information, and then you have to, or well, common line and use your common line tool or your terminal to 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 install a newer version via npm, or change your package.json exactly the way you want it to work, and then well, basically relock your application, assuming you're using npm.
0: Cool, but sometimes I guess picking between versions is almost kind of choosing the lesser of evils. I would guess. I would assume that in some situ- situations. Whatever I choose, there are going to be vulnerabilities there. So, how do you handle situations like that? I would
2: basically say step by step, because you start with a version, and that version might not have a certain vulnerability, or that might have vulnerabilities, but might not have a certain vulnerability that is discovered later on in a newer version. So, it can actually be that you create something, or or patch something in, or pick a newer version, and then you end up with a total new package of vulnerabilities. And that's why I wanted to, to say that if you do this early and often that you find out there are a few vulnerabilities, for instance, and you fix them already and you go on and on. So the delta of you fixing these this this these kind of things will be small. I believe that is the only good way of working, regardless of which ecosystem or which version or or which thing, if you're talking to Docker containers, it's exactly the same because a newer version can bring in new issues etc etc so do it step by step and as i believe that all listeners here will be will be excellent developers so we have a set of tests available that will make sure that that your program is still working fix them one by one run your test suite to make sure that it's actually still doing the, the job you need to need to be doing and then go on and on and try to go for a level that you're comfortable with i wouldn't say specifically go for zero vulnerabilities in the end of course you want that but i can also imagine that some vulnerabilities that you see and we name them, like, what What do the, these vulnerabilities actually do? What kind of vulnerability is it? And if you know that, like, this one is not so important or this one has, well, has is less vulnerable in my situation, because that depends on the context, you might be believing that. So if you're comfortable with a certain level, you just want to make sure you're not getting worse in a sort in a in, in matter of speaking so again that depends on your way of working if you're an individual if you work in a big team or not but i would say again do it step by step run your run your test suite to make sure that it does still does the the, the main job and then fix new ones and try to make the fixes as soon as possible to make sure that you do not have to up your level or up your dependency or your package to a new major version which probably will break api I'd probably
3: add that in, in terms of those those kind of like steps I think what we're trying what we're seeing as a dilemma right with with developers both in open source and you know companies is how do you how do you lower that signal to noise kind of ratio right how do you make it you know less friction less you know less womp and flood developers with with issues? And Amy mentioned, you know, it, it kind of resembles the slint, which, you know, is, tr- is something you're trying to also like, you know, don't want to save a file, commit it, push it, and then Linter throws at you 100 linter errors, right? But we're still using linters, right? It's a way to kind of like standardize uh, guidelines and, you know, code style and whatever you're using it for. But kind of that's what we're trying to do. And I think that's kind of like the distinctive way that that Sneak works, right? Where Brian mentioned the thing about the way that, you know, you were trying to get you to the most minimal server version possible to create an upgrade but also by default you know what we what we're scanning for is the prod dependencies so if you have some some stuff in in dev dependencies you know you we, we we may not just you know give you that information out of the box you you may opt in for it but we're trying to really reduce the noise for
2: you as a developer to really focus on the most important things as possible and again, mm-hmm. when you when you when you scan for for these kind of things, you can already say, okay, I want to be notified for only severities or only vulnerabilities that have at least that are at least having a, a high severe or are at the, at the level of high. So you have low, medium, and high severity vulnerabilities. Maybe you do not want to get even notified by low severities. So you can pick and choose already in that. Then you just have to make your own reasonable decision if you want to switch these versions out.
0: Without really shaming anybody, because I think we've all had vulnerabilities in our software. So it's really a reality of of building software that you have vulnerabilities. But can you give examples of some of the vulnerabilities that you identify and recommend? So, you know, we kind of get the feeling of what we're talking about.
3: Yeah, sure. I mean, vulnerabilities come in all different, I guess, sizes and and tastes and whatnot. I would add that, you know, some of us also create vulnerabilities. (laughs) <laughs> so yeah, not, not shaming anyone, I and mean, being included here on creating vulnerabilities too. But but it's like it's it's the fact of, of, of life, right? Too, you're not creating software in a vacuum, and everything has you know bugs and need some attention and so on. This is kind of the way with things. It's really it's any anywhere between having SQL injections and and you know cross site scripting. So any kind of like these vulnerabilities will be really well fleshed out in terms of you know what we report on. I've seen uh, if you remember, there's been there's been a lot of issues with some popular libraries. Manage ecosystems around prototype pollution, and that has been something that also Sneak really endeavored in a, in a security research. So we've been raising some of these and working with the maintainers to to fix them and create patches and so on. And this has been you know super received well by the maintainers and you know by the community. But to an extent, this is also something that created a lot of noise, right? Like what what extent the prototype pollution would be or some so. It's not all the time. I think the problem with you know with, with security in a sense is that it's mostly invisible, right? Like when you are super secure, there is you know nothing except maybe like a like a scanner, right? Like like this uh, security scan that tells you zero vulnerabilities. But at the same extent, how do you quantify? You know, you have hundred vulnerabilities. You know, what's your level of exposure at the moment? Is it the amount of time you have them unpatched? Is it severity level? The CVSS? Is it exploitable? So many things that, you know, you need to take into account to figure out what is your current status, but it's super hard when you don't have the visibility into it. And I think kind of like understanding that even something as, as prototype pollution is something that would be having very tangible impact on a system, if so to say, it's just important to understand that, you know, this is something that can happen. And I think one of the experiments I've actually done probably about a month or two ago was we have this Goof app which we use for demos. So if you go to it's open source. So if you go to like Sne- the GitHub repo sneak slash Goof, you would basically get a JavaScript app end to end with ton of vulnerabilities and also exploits inside and like help you experiment with this and, and do this. And what I've done is added this prototype pollution in one of the uh, popular ORMs for Node. That is, you know, it, it's vulnerable for SQL injection just because of prototype pollution. So it's true that sometimes, you know, maybe on a front end, maybe in a, in a specific context. You would not be able to exploit a prototype pollution vulnerability or an XSS or you know whatever, right? But there's there's a slight chance that you may not understand you know fully the impact and the attack surface, and then you might be vulnerable like that one example that you know creates this SQL injection because of that prototype pollution vulnerability. But you really don't want to take that, that chance, right? You you want to, you're leaving the house after you leave, you know? <laughs> it's a bit of COVID times right now, but assuming you leave the house and allowed to. You want to close all the doors, right? You want to close all the windows. You want to make sure everything is, you know, tight and, you know, you're not leaving anything open. And if you're like me, you're probably double-checking, you know, everything twice. And so that's kind of like the, the world we live in with security as well. You do not want to leave that, you know, that that small chance that something can go wrong and you want to do everything in your power, right? It's no don't, don't need to go into crazy madness, which is what I think Brian was trying to say before. You need to prioritize things and, you know, reach reach them with some rationale, right? But at the same time, you need to have a plan to to make better you know, we have a good baseline and improve upon that. So that's kind of like the, I think the effort and you know, the return of investment of investing in your own security in a, in a,
0: in a sense. Since you mentioned it several times, prototype pollution is, the, is essentially the inadvertent problems caused by the fact that the same prototypes are shared across the entire application, right? That if I put something on string.prototype, every, it, it impacts every string in the system. So is it more about True, the yeah. fact that somebody is maliciously, intentionally putting something on a prototype and changing built-in behavior, or is it something else? Can you elaborate a little bit?
3: Yeah, sure. So I guess, sorry, I mean, you, you pretty much explained it in a very simple term. So that's kind of what it is. I mean, it's, it's very specific also to you know, JavaScript and the prototype structure, right? So it's, it's a very specific world here that we're talking about. And that's essentially what it means. You have an object. And if we're able to, I guess there's different terminology here, right? If we're able to poison an object in terms of, for example, create an attribute on the base object of JavaScript that says is admin or, you know, whatever else you, we can think of, then any object created from that object will have is admin as well. And so you can imagine that if there's like a code, a code path where you would be checking, uh, you know, relatively this is like an example from a backend, for example, where you have this if something is admin equals true. And if it doesn't exist on the prototype of, I mean, of the, the current object, it will go up the prototype chain and we'll find it on that root object, which we poisoned. And at that point, we have kind of like circumvented our way into, you know, pro- poisoning that that app or all uh, well, that prototype chain to an is admin a value and maybe have gained unwanted access, right? Access that we couldn't have gained before. And that happens in different ways, right? That, that there are different ways to make that happen. One of them is maybe. Maybe you're processing JSON that is that is rooted in user input. Maybe you're processing user input not as a JSON, but you're transforming it into, into a merger, into a into a JSON, and your merge is maybe, you know, is maybe an unsecure merge, right? You're maybe doing deep merges inside that tree, which you know do not take into account the fact that someone is able to impact the prototype. And so that's kind of like how this how this evolves. It's it's one example, right? It's one example, but there are so
0: many. Uh, you remind me of a funny tweet that I recently saw that somebody listed several ways to sum up an area of numbers in JavaScript. So one was a simple for loop. Another one was to use the dot reduce method. But the final example was to take that uh, area of numbers, join it with a string plus, and then eval it. So I was really amused Great one. with that particular example. <laughs> yeah,
3: or, or a really um, and so on for sure yeah it's something yeah and people get after a while right if if you're aware of it that's kind of thing that they work with raising awareness like you just said right you understand the the impact of that and the moment you understand it and you see it you know that's i think that's like that's the 50% win right the next thing is just freaking out what is the solution what is the alternative but the moment you see it it clicks
0: cool now how challenging, was it for you to implement this extension for Visual Studio? I know that there are a lot of uh, cool extensions for that. I've personally have not yet built an extension for VS Code. That's something I probably have to do sooner or later. It's becoming a rite of passage almost. So can you talk a little bit about that?
5: I, one thing I would add to that question too that I was going to ask earlier. So I'm assuming like there are extensions for other languages too, but I'm kind of curious, like specifically maybe since it's a JavaScript podcast, if there were any complications that I'm assuming there are <laughs> specifically with JavaScript.
2: Not not so much complications. It was more the the structure how to how to make it work within uh, Visual Studio Code that was a challenge. Okay. Luckily, luckily, we got the idea from what was the original thing called? I think it was probably that it, yeah, import cost. Import import cost by the folks from from Wix, and we looked at how they built their their UI because they do the inline messaging, like there is something wrong, or you you're importing a certain package, and it shows you how much that package costs you. So from that point of view, we're like, okay, this is this is nifty. This is very, very, very simple and elegant and, and in a way how they presented it. And their code was, was there. So we built this with their idea. We took their idea and we built our stuff on top of that. So the UI part, well, we, we got inspired by them say it like that and then we connected our own apis towards that and then we had to think of okay how we make this fast and snappy how we do caching how we are not sure that we have to make sure that it doesn't scan your whole application again when you change change just a tiny little bit these were the challenges that we had to make to make it work because nobody likes it when you change something or you change just one line and it takes over 30 seconds to, uh, to re-render the stuff. So the, m- most, most of the challenges were in, in the usability kind of way.
5: What about security vulnerabilities like in the dependency tree? So are you guys scanning all the way down or just at like the top level?
2: we're scanning all the way down we scan so that's why why we need your your whole dependency tree okay. with use of things like like npm or with the based the package the, the package lock file we 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 know what kind of kind of dependencies okay. are underneath because we found out that most problems are not in the top level dependencies but in the dependencies underneath so yeah um, exactly <laughs> and that's what we show you it's not that package that you might imp- that you imported but it, but it can be something that is three or four levels deep
5: I should have added to i I'm still scrolling through. So this isn't just anything that I were to import, but it works with script tags as well.
2: Yes. Yeah, that's
3: we'll the do. thing I like about it, actually. It's, it's, yeah. it's, the side, uh, it's my side favorite thing about it. It's actually not even targeting specifically, like, you know, full-blown NPM JavaScript developers using import and TypeScript and so on. But if you're just editing a file, like, you know, plain old, I don't know, the days of the 90s where you have a script tag there, <laughs> Importing a lot something. of
5: people still do that.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm getting at. That, that's my favorite thing. <laughs> we have not neglected that part, and we've actually uh, very consciously actually have looked into parsing those, you know, plain HTML files and script tags, and, and using that to find out what you're using
5: and so oh, on. Those good old <laughs> monolithic Ruby on Rails and Django
0: apps. Exactly. Well, not, not just that. I'm actually a fan of script tags. <laughs> yeah, done right. You know, it's not web, so bad. You web, can still import with them. Well, <laughs> done right, the web is a beautiful thing, you know. So a script tag will always have a place. Unless you're using, yes, modules where you can do the import from within the JavaScript itself, any, everything ulti- ultimately translates to a script tag. Well, there's also web workers which aren't script tags. But well, anyway, many things
1: <laughs> translate. We don't to. need script tags. Just put everything in the on-click one line, <laughs> <laughs> Safe, it's secure, loads really fast. That's true. Yeah. Go that easy step. to
0: use. Yeah, those... click equals equals string. Yeah, that's you know having having uh, code as as uh, strings, that's always secure.
1: Yeah. <laughs> what what could possibly go wrong? Nothing. It's perfect. Nobody will yeah. notice, right? When you're it, when you're programming that way, you've got so little javascript in your code that your code's inherently hopefully not even code.
0: Yeah, actually people will notice because your code will your website will work surprisingly fast.
1: Let's let's not troll too hard. People might believe that.
0: <laughs> but it's actually true. Cool. So anything else you do you want to tell us about either this uh, extension or other other extensions that your or, or tool or free tools that you're that you're introducing?
2: Well, uh, after, after creating this, this extension, uh, we were thinking about okay, that integration with, with an IDE is very common and, and it's very useful for developers. But how do you get into the process of picking a certain library? And you probably search around on different websites. It can be either a CDN or a, that, and, and you use that script tag. Or it can be, for instance, uh, another website that that you can look for a specific library that fixes or helps you with the problem you want to solve. So we reached out to a couple of those owners. And for instance, with JS Deliver and with CDNJS, we integrated our API with them. So if you are looking for a certain package, same with Yarn, uh, by the way, Yarn Package. If you're looking, if you're searching for a certain, for, for a package and you're like, okay, I like that package and you click on the details, you will see a bunch of these badges. And the badges normally are like, okay, what kind of license is it? How much is it downloaded? But also gives you an indication of a specific version. How much, how many vulnerabilities are there? And just in a one liner, right on top of mind, like, okay, this version might have two vulnerabilities. Do you want to use it or do you want to go to a newer or maybe even older version? Depends on, on what it is. Most of the time it's newer, by the way. And if you want to know more, you can click on it and you go to our website that that gives you more in-depth information on what kind of vulnerabilities are there. So we think like by giving this information early and often to the community, we tried basically to make to make it easy for developers to pick the right package initially so that's one of the things we recently uh, did next to the phone cost plugin and the integration with his website vulnerable with uh, yeah web page test sorry
0: again without naming names how vulnerable was the most vulnerable package that you've yet to encounter that's
2: a good question um, i don't think oh, that i've right. ever put them on a scale like that no, it's and it's and then then it. Then it <laughs>
5: I can think of some from my MPM days for sure. <laughs> I
2: can I can think of think of some, but it's how you also count the vulnerabilities because do you count a vulnerability as one or do you count every vulnerable path that it can take as a vulnerability? So that's the way. Like okay, how do you uh, actually come to the numbers? But uh, I like
0: that. Uh... Like that scene from the Lord of the Ring movie, where the elf Legolas takes down that elephant with all the fighters on it, and and then Gimli the dwarf says, "Yeah, that only counts as one." <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I guess it really depends yeah. on how you yeah. count It, it Yeah, it
2: really it really depends because it's basically the same mm. vulnerability, but yeah, you can you can trigger it in in in. Say a ton of different ways. So, do you count it as one vulnerability, or do you count it as a ton of vulnerabilities? But um, I've seen, say, in in within the three digits, so over a hundred vulnerabilities I've I've seen to a package. But that was a very very old one, and I'm not naming anybody in this case. But in I most
0: know. cases, though, is it about the number or the severity? Because I would imagine that a single severe uh, vulnerability could be can be much worse than twenty, you know, small vulnerabilities that
2: totally depends on the context of your
0: application just just to give you an example something
2: like a path traversal kind of vulnerability might look like okay you can traverse backwards in a path and i can read a bunch of files that might not be you cannot do anything you can just read but that is however the start of how people get get into your application. So they might be reading, for instance, a token that you left out there in a certain file that you normally only can read if you have access to that file system. If you combine two or three individually low severe vulnerabilities, but you combine these these two or these three, they can still lead up to a Massive destruction of your your uh, your application, or at least things you did not intend to expose to the outside world. So. It totally depends on your uh, on the context. However, I do agree that uh, things like arbitrary code execution or these kind of vulnerabilities are, by default, are more severe. So I would say if you're going to solve things, start with the high severe ones and go away to the lower ones. But don't underestimate the lower or medium vulnerable vulnerabilities that, that are out, out there because combined, they can do a lot of things. And most of the times, it's not just... Unfortunately, it's not just one issue you have when you found out you got breached. It's probably a domino effect from three or four or more vulnerabilities that people combined to get into your system or read certain data or whatever it is they they, they want to do with your stuff. Hey,
4: folks, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out.
0: Yeah, so I have, I, I actually have two questions about that. So We were discussing the fact that sometimes smaller vulnerabilities in the libraries that you're using can accumulate and uh, that, a lot, that several small vulnerabilities can actually add up into a significant vulnerability. Uh, so I actually have uh, two questions related to that. Question number one is that if I look at it from that perspective, it can be an accumulation of vulnerabilities from several uh, libraries. That means I might be using, maybe the problem is because I'm using two specific libraries in conjunction. Uh, is that something that you're also looking at or considering looking at?
3: I, I don't think if there was an example that I remember cor- like out of my hand out of my head just because of um, combining two vulnerabilities, but there are definitely situations. and I think that's kind of like probably apparent in the in like you know the uh the, vulnerability, the security scene where you would be like a chain of of things going kind of like wrong together, if so to say. Would need to impact the vulnerability. So, for example, we have uh, probably give two examples of that off the top of my hand because these are exploits we have on the uh, on the um, on the public goof up which I've mentioned before. And so, for example, let's say there's an XSS vulnerability in a in in a package called Marked doing Markdown, and you know this is a real thing, right? And by default, in that version of Marked, it actually sanitized uh, those those vulnerabilities. Uh, sorry, those. Uh, those specific strings, like a JavaScript colon something, and then you can't really do an XSS um, uh, in an href context. And so if you try to replace that colon with something like, um, like the HTML entity representation of what a colon is, it actually does some regex parsing to find those as well. So that by itself, like trying both of those things didn't really work. And oh,
0: could... I love uh, sanitation, sanitation using uh, regex. It's what can go <laughs> wrong. Exactly. Nothing, but,
1: because regular yeah. expressions are precise and regular.
0: <laughs> yeah, and they're so easy to debug and understand.
1: Yeah, I, unless I, I, you I, write I, them I, I, like Dan
3: does, God, yeah. just don't try them at all. But uh, it's, we,
0: uh, we we had this uh, an interesting Twitter exchange about me taking <laughs> a a simple like <laughs> three simple regular expressions and turning them into or actually three simple replace instructions and using turning them into one not-so-simple replace instruction. Because I like I to write code like a compiler. But anyway, go on. So yes, using regular expressions to sanitize uh, your code.
3: All right. So, so, I mean, it's interesting to note at this point that this maintainer uh, was actually very security conscious. I mean, think about the, the mindset. Someone, you know, understanding that, uh, that the payload like JavaScript colon, you know, then alert or something could be, uh, you know, malicious. Then thinking about the fact that someone can represent it in a different way, and then sanitizing HTML entities, I mean that's you have got to give you know some credit here, right? I mean this is this is a you know very security mindset in a way, and we'd love to see more of that. The thing is that project specifically like targeted a structured way of that HTML entity. So if you would break the HTML entity down a bit to where it's like uh, where it has uh, you know it's it's supposed to end with like a semicolon, but if you'd add a valid JavaScript statement or a, a like, you know, like the word this or the word document uh, before that semicolon and, you know, right onto the, the end of, of the uh, HTML entity, what would happen is it would actually bypass the sanitization process in Marked because that's not, you know, according to the regex. So that's, that's that's supposedly fine, but then the browser thinks about it in a different way. And then when the browser processes that, the, the browser actually inserts that semicolon creates an HTML entity and the rest of that um, of that statement is all volley JavaScript. And that's how you get an XSS. And that's, for example, like one way where you might be thinking and trying different ways to exploit a vulnerability. Like you know, Snake will tell you there's an XSS here, and you're like driving or you know, driving nuts about how to make it happen, you know, Q8 or you know, try to, to see what's going under, you might not you know think about this specific attack vector as a security research uh, researcher did and then you know file the security report about it. So things aren't, you know, as simple as, as they seem all the time. Some things, you know, require different chain of things to happen. Uh, you know, that's one example. I have more of those, but it, I don't know about like, you know, different libraries. I think that's, these are more complex situations, but definitely things are oftentimes, you know, a bit more than they are complicated than they appear to be.
0: So that was one question that I had. And the other is... Currently, you're researching vulnerabilities or, or getting reports about vulnerabilities in, in th- third-party libraries. And then, based on that, you're recommending, uh, you said, either usually upgrade, sometimes a downgrade. What about inspecting or, or using certain heuristics to verify my own code? Uh, for, for yeah, Because anything a third-party li- library can do, I can also do myself. Accidentally,
3: we're not doing that yet. But um, Brian, do you know that reachable Vons feature we have for Java? I think that's something worth and really interesting to share about because, yeah, think does like this tooling, uh, which is you know more of like a developer first kind of tooling that we're trying to build. Uh, but then it does this uh, other aspect which you mentioned, which is you know we do our own sec- uh, security research and we uh, rep- uh, you know have a way to report and vote so we can work with the maintainers to fix them. Uh, but recently, we've done something uh, very much related to what you're saying. It's currently only out for Java, and that's that's more around the fact where sometimes you have you have a it's not exactly your code, but it's as close to it as, as you can get at this point. And that is, let's say you're using um, you know uh, a third party dependency, but the thing is the vulnerable function that is part of that dependency that you know has the vulnerability inside it. Maybe you're not using it, right? And it's, it's a very classic case, for example, uh, from the JavaScript side, from like things like Lodash, where you'd import, you know, the entire of Lodash, but maybe that, you know, there's like only that merge function, uh, which you don't use is vulnerable, but the tooling still tells you, you know, upgrade Lodash because, you know, merge is vulnerable, but you're not using it, right? That's, that's kind of like the frustration part. And so we have that right now for Java where you could, you could pass some flags out to the CLI or, you know, whether you have some like integrations with id and so on where we can uh, um, leverage this information and then we can tell you it's actually only vulnerable if it's from a reachable code so it, only if it's you're actually using um, a code path that triggers that specific vulnerable function because Nick also knows to say what is the actual function that is vulnerable within that third party library it's not just you know that third party library inversion is is vulnerable but what is the actual function that is vulnerable and then we can connect all of that flow together and tell you what you should be doing so I think that's that's the key part that you know we want to see more happening across other ecosystem languages too. Yeah def-
2: definitely um for for java for the for the java ecosystem we now look into that to to actually see if it's part of the call graph. Uh, so if it's actually reach, reachable it that that is that is not of course 100% certainty but then you then we can give you uh together with if there are known exploits for it, together with uh, what is the uh, how high is uh, uh, is the CVSS score, all these things combined, we can give you a score to see um, which one should you fix first. Because what we what we see for enterprise uh, developers or developers with a lot of code, they have a bunch of vulnerabilities. They have a ton of vulnerabilities that they that they need to need to um, fix. Like, okay, where to start? So that is that is the thing uh, that we do. So we see if it's reachable or not. That's one of the major uh, pilots over there. And then, um, of course, if it's an, if it's out there for for a very, for a very long time or a very new one, um, that influences the score. And it will that will change over time. Of course, all these all these kind of things. Just like uh, it can be um, that something comes out and. It turns out to be a false positive. Uh, luckily, we have our own security team that monitors these kind of things. So, in a very rare situation, it can be that severity will change to from high to medium or something like that. Or even if it's a real false positive, it will get uh, it will it will not be flagged anymore. So that is the benefit, in my in my opinion, from having our own uh, security researchers um, in inside our uh, inside our company.
0: Cool. Uh, I, think, uh, I think at this point, uh, I will push us towards PIX. It's been quite a very interesting discussion for me, and there's certainly been a lot of information here.
4: One of the biggest pain points that I find as I talk to people about software is deployment. It's really interesting to have the conversations with people where it's, I don't want to deal with Docker, I don't want to deal with Kubernetes, I don't want to deal with setting up servers, I don't, you know, all of these different things. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has gotten a lot easier. And in a lot of ways, DevOps has also kind of embraced a certain amount of culture around applications, the way we build them, the way we deploy them. And I've really felt for a long time that developers need to have the conversations with DevOps or adopt some form of DevOps so that they can take control of what they're doing and really understand when things go to production, what's going on so that they can help debug the issues and fix the issues and find the issues when they go wrong and help streamline things and make things better and slicker and easier so that they'll more generally go right. So we started a podcast called Adventures in DevOps. And I pulled in one of the hosts from one of my favorite DevOps shows, Nell Shamrell-Harrington from the Food Fight Show. And we got things rolling there. And so this is more or less a continuation of the Food Fight Show where we're talking about the things that go into DevOps. So if you're struggling with any of these operational type things then definitely check out Adventures in DevOps. And you can find it at adventuresindevopspodcast.com.
0: I don't know if you guys are familiar with this pick concept. Uh, hopefully you are. If not, we will do our picks and then you'll probably get the gist of what it is. Uh, so because Amy had to drop off, AJ, why don't you go first? You usually have great, uh, awesome picks.
1: Yeah, all right. So last week I talked about Zalgo and then there were Crickets because I somehow we're with a crowd that doesn't know what Zalgo is. These guys know what Zalgo is, right? You guys know Zalgo, no? Oh, man. Hang on. You, like, what, what are you, like, started being a developer yesterday? Come on. Oh. <laughs> Zalgo is the demon god that comes when you parse uh, HTML with regex. <laughs> This is this is kind of like it's.
3: Why would you ever do that? That's why. Uh, that's why we don't know about it. We don't do these kind of like awful things.
1: Oh well, I mean, I just, it, I, it's it's one of the most famous Stack Overflow posts. It's it's like that. Um, it's like that Amazon review of the three wolf T-shirt, three three wolf moon T-shirt. You know, it's just one of those things that.
3: Yeah. Only you know about these things. And,
1: and, and you know, and on that note. I'm going to pick the three wolf moon Amazon review. It's, it's a parody review. And, and like this, this thing about Zago, obviously is a, well, hopefully obviously is a, is a um, parody answer, but actually I don't, I don't know. Somebody will have to Google it. I don't know what the link is, but anyway, there's, 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 there's a bunch of, if you Google for um, like parody reviews on Amazon, there's stuff, people talking about like getting delivered, like month old milk and, uh, gender specific, um, Bic pens and like just really weird, random stuff. Um, okay. So another one that I've got to pick is the fish shell. Uh, if you are not using fish, you deserve better. Now I am not going to suggest that you take any effort in learning how to script with fish, because I think that's a waste of time. Um, now someone's going to shoot me from the fish community (laughs) but fish is the best shell it is the friendly interactive shell and it does things like as you type it highlights what you're typing it doesn't wait for you to hit tab or hit return to start doing auto suggestions and error feedback like while you're typing if the command's not found it's going to be highlighted in red and then as soon as the command's found it turns into blue and it's just got um It's like if you've heard of Oh My ZSH, it's like Oh My ZSH on steroids. And by the way, if you cannot, just cannot use a shell that isn't bash compatible because you do too much bash foo, then there's no way that you haven't heard of ZSH and Oh My ZSH. But if on the rare chance you are a bash foo guru who does not know of ZSH, then you can also use ZSH. Um, but I recommend fish. I always use, always use bash for scripting. I never try to do anything fancy in fish, but just as a way to just, you know, type, type out commands and files and folders. And I just love, love, love having all the auto completions and highlighting and colors, et cetera, et cetera. So I, um, I've got an installer, uh, and cheat sheet up for that on webinstalldev slash fish. And that'll show you how to integrate it with iterm2 or with terminal.app. Um, I uh, tend to try to stay away from things that require sudo. So you can also set it to your default shell with sudo and chsh, but I, uh, I try to avoid that. And then along those lines, um, I will, uh, well, I, mm, I'll pick this again later, but there's a, there's a couple themes that I've discovered that I really love for iTerm2 um, and VS Code. And like these themes are pretty much universal, but there's a theme called... Um, Tomorrow night, that's part of the base 16 package of themes. And then there's another one called Toy Chest and another one called Dracula. So I'm going to pick Toy Chest, well, tomorrow night, first of all, then Dracula, then Toy Chest. And I've, I've discovered this new thing with iTerm2 where I can, um, use in the in the advanced tab, I can set it. So as soon as I SSH into something, all of my SSH users are app, which I think that's a pretty common convention. Um, so I'm not giving away any information there. I don't use passwords. I only use keys. Uh-huh. But uh, <laughs> so whenever I SSH into something that has the username app, the profile switches. So if I'm on a remote computer, I don't get confused between which terminal is which. Um, so I'll have like my remote will be in the toy chest theme and my local will be in Dracula. And then I'll have a really ugly theme for the default theme. So if it's my username then shows up in one theme, if it's the app username, it shows up in another theme, and then if it's the root username, then it thro- shows up in another theme. That way, um, I never get confused, and and this requires iTerm too, and the terminal integrations under the like iTerm preferences tab or whatever. But it's super awesome. Absolutely love it. Um, so, yeah, I uh, I I've got that to pick, and then okay, I'm gonna pick I'm gonna pick a really really unpopular figure for very good reason. I'm gonna pick Jeff Bezos because he is the flippin' modern Robin Hood. He's figured out how to get rich people from all of the globe to invest in a company that drives up an inflated imaginary valuation so that he's quote-unquote worth $200 billion, when in fact, he's actually just stolen all the rich people's money, lowered the cost of goods and services, and then provide it to everybody for free or near free. Amazing. I like Those are you... my picks. Oh, yeah. I think I think Jeff Bezos, Be- Bezos is getting such a bad rap right now, but like people don't understand how company valuation works. He doesn't have $200 billion. He spent some amount of billions of dollars that after you do these adjustments for stock price, inflations, et cetera, it's imaginary money. You're just making it up. It doesn't exist in the real world. It's not something you can pull out of a bank account or- Yeah,
0: you know. but all money is imaginary. You can't really pull all the money out of the bank accounts anyway.
1: Well, so, what I mean is like- like it's imagine, a shared psychosis. Imagine that like there was no gold and then you dug and you found gold and suddenly you're rich. Like the gold didn't exist before, but then you found it. So it's not like it's you called could, cryptocurrency. You didn't. No, that's that's <laughs> You didn't. You didn't it's take money. Of <laughs> you didn't take money from poor people to get rich. You created a new asset where no asset previously existed.
0: Well, again, we're living in an economy where the governments or actually the central banks keep uh, pouring money into the economy. So literally, the concept of uh, of pouring uh, money out of thin air. It's not even that you don't even print the bills anymore. It's just numbers in a computer. It's becoming literally min- meaningless. It's like I said, it's a shared <laughs> psychosis. But I understand, I understand what you're coming from. I'm just amused because I think the Federal Reserve is pouring the equivalent of one Jeff Bezos into the US economy literally every month. So it kind of puts things in perspective.
1: Well, no, they're doing much more than that because he only actually gets salaried at I think it's ten million dollars per year, and they're doing they're putting a lot more than that into, and, and yeah, but but again, that's that's dilution, and but we do need inflation. Inflation is important for a stable economy.
0: So I'm going to go now with my picks. So pick number one is you mentioned the themes. So I'm always amused when somebody posts a bit of code on Twitter. And uh, usually the way to do it these days is to post a screenshot, and he goes like, or he or she goes and says, "Hey, look at this really awesome code that I created, or I created this uh, algorithm with, which solves a problem which was considered to be unsolvable before, and I've did it small enough so that it can fit in a tweet." And everybody says, "Yeah, but what's your theme?" So I'm always amused about that. Uh, and in this context, my pick is going to be that if you do actually uh, post code on Twitter as an image, uh, it's, it's a really cool way of, of sharing code, especially if your code doesn't quite fit in the tweet itself. But the thing that we neglect to think about is the fact that visually impaired people can't actually see your code because it's, it's text in a picture and uh, the screen readers can't handle that. Uh, and what you can actually do in Twitter these days is add alt text, like you can do with images on the web. You can actually do that in Twitter. So my first pick is going to be that if you any at any time post a code on Twitter as an image, make sure to include all that code as an alt text for that image. Uh, people, you know, people who are not visually impaired will just see that image that you posted along with your really nifty. Uh, theme, but visually impaired people will actually get their screen readers to read out the, the code for them. So that's going to be my first pick. Uh, my second pick is going to be, uh, the, uh, series of books, uh, fantasy books that I've been reading. They're not the best, uh, fantasy, uh, series that I've ever read, but they're very enjoyable. I'm having fun time reading them. It's, uh, the demon cycle series. I'm uh, about to finish book number two, uh, and I'm definitely going to be reading book number three. So uh, that would be uh, my second pick. Uh, And I'll post the link to Goodreads about that uh, series of books. Uh, And that concludes my picks for today. So, uh, Brian, let's go with you first. Do you have picks for us or should I switch over to Liran before you? (laughs)
2: i <laughs> uh, try, try later on first because I'm trying to make up what, what what should I pick in what category. I'm trying to make... make. It could it. be
0: anything, literally. It, does, okay. it doesn't need to have anything to do with technology whatsoever. It could be your, your no. hobby or whatever. Or just no, a that random just thing like, that happened today.
3: He's a Java person, so you know it takes time to put up. You know, yeah,
2: yeah, I, I, yeah, I've, i I've, I've got multiple threads to spawn sp- up to do this for me, right? That's that's no, let's not. That is not getting to. Yeah, good. yeah,
0: you you've got the pick, but you're still uh, creating all the boilerplate for it.
2: Definitely, definitely, but it makes it readable. <laughs> I like you, Dan.
0: <laughs> oh, okay, I will. I will
2: take a pick. That's what uh, something like bit of bit of in the same fashion as you called out, uh, Dan, but. Um, Although now I have to rethink of that because of that uh, that alt tag that you uh, that you mentioned, but I was I just stumbled upon uh, carbon uh, dot now dot which uh, where you can literally uh, grab a piece of code and push it in, and then it will create an image that looks like your terminal in this in a certain way, and you can you can mix and match themes in these kind of kind of way, so you have an actual nice picture kind of way to post it. Uh, in a blog post or in a twitter message that looks far better and far well easier to read in my opinion than people just having a screen grab from their from their own from their own screen because they well at, at least they have they have a nice background on it you can and you can pick and choose whatever you want but i think it's a very nice way to present your code as an image in for instance a blog post uh, although i would say that if you block somewhere And it's possible just to put it out as code and use Markdown, for instance, that that should be your first pick. The other pick, I think I will pick a a TV TV series and probably everybody knew about this one, but I haven't have stumbled upon this like literally last week and binged it. That was the Umbrella Academy, which is so addictive, in my opinion. It is weird. It is strange. It is kind of superhero, but not really. and uh, after after this uh, this meeting, I will probably put one of these episodes up just to uh, to clear my mind of all the all uh, all the all the JavaScript uh, uh, things that Liran throws at me. <laughs> um, no, no, I'm kidding, man. I'm kidding. Did you but, watch um,
0: both seasons?
2: I'm I'm currently uh, I I've for season one. I'm currently somewhere in within season two, and um, that one is I'm, mostly um, like the boys, right?
0: Sort of. Uh, mm. Boys is Same more. Thing.
2: The the, yeah. the, the, boy, the boys. Yeah, is... the boys. Uh, the boys have yeah, seen it boys. as well. The boys have seen it as well. I, I I have to start in the second season, but that's more of the anti way of looking at at superheroes yeah. because. Yeah, yeah, And that's. I must say that's also very very amusing to to very see it that. Su- that superheroes are not not your average uh, good guy, but can do things to just. They're they're misusing their powers to just make money and that kind of stuff, so it's just the whole enterprise around superheroes, which is which is amusing. But uh, I fell for that umbrella company thing on the, on Netflix. In this yeah,
0: case. they're supposed to have one more season of it come. I'm not sure when it's supposed to come out, and that's supposed to be the last one. So it's going to be only three seasons. That's it. Um, Good to know. Uh, but I, again, I'm not exactly sure when that third season will actually land, especially. With all you know, <laughs> things that are going on, yeah. Then, but I agree with you. It's a it's a really good, it's a really enjoyable uh, show. I actually picked it myself a couple of episodes ago. <laughs> okay.
2: Well, well, I will conclude my my picks with uh, with these two, if if, if that's okay.
0: All right.
3: I guess I'll stay on the on the tech side to complete the fish and the ZSH kind of recommendation. I'll recommend you take a look at Starship Prompt. It's an open source project. Really pretty fine. your prompt on the shell uh, built by Matan Kushner. It's a really, really, really beautiful thing. So try it out. I feel like I need to give a shout out to you, uh, Yarn2. Uh, Mile has put a lot of work into basically rewriting this thing from scratch. And if there is something we could always use is, you know, more opinions, more perspectives, and more ways of looking at things differently. So I think Yarn2 is definitely challenging the way that package managers work. That's going to be a nice one. Take Check it out. I want to shout out for Beautify, which is a Vue.js theming thing. It might seem obvious, uh, and, uh, you know, the obvious pick for some of you folks, but I'm bad at front end. And UI component libraries are helping me build things. So definitely a shout out for that one. And maybe the last pick on, on kind of like packages and projects is take a look at the packed framework. If, if you're into uh, testing, you know, in a, in a big way, and one of the challenges there is how do you do API testing, integration testing in scale? So like imagine, you know, having thousands of microservices or don't even need to go two thousand, right? Tens or hundreds is just kind of like crazy enough. How do you test them in a way where you don't need to bring up a whole end-to-end system to do it? And then the front end and the back end, APIs, integration, and so on. Fact is the way to solve that. And it's based on this concept and pattern that has been here for a while called uh, consumer driven contracts. So... This has a really thriving community. I really suggest taking a look at it. And I'll conclude my picks with a person uh, that will be—I I won't say to contradict <laughs> the Jeff Bezos side of things, but I'll—I'll I'll throw you back something like 30 years back, and I'll—I'll uh, uh, I'll pick Andrew Milner, which most chances no one uh, is listening has an idea who this person is. Uh, but they have—they um, were—I think they were the sole creator of. Uh, I have a bulletin board system that used to run on DOS called Remote Access, and that has basically shaped up my entire childhood uh, back in 1995 or six or something around those days. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's going to be my pick.
0: Cool. Well, that concludes another JavaScript Jabber show. Thank you all for participating. It was awesome. Really, really interesting. If anybody wants to reach out to you guys to learn about vulnerabilities in general, the other the tools that you are creating, how do they best reach out to you?
2: I think the uh, the easy way is to uh, to reach us on Twitter. Uh, I mean, uh, both of our DMs are, uh, are are open, and that's why how, how we connect with basically uh, the rest of the world. Of course, you can use the old fashioned email kind of way, which is still valid, but um, I think Twitter is the easiest the easiest one.
0: Um, and I think so if you if you
2: look if you so look what's for your Twitter handle, it's Brian Verm. So Brian and V E R M at the end. That's my Twitter Twitter handle. And uh, Liran yeah, is just I'm, your uh, name, right? Almost. It's uh, Liran underscore doll
0: Cool. So thank you both for coming on our show. Like I said, it was awesome. Really interesting.
3: And, thank you for uh, having us.
0: You're welcome. See you all next time. Bye.
3: See ya Bye, everyone. Bye, bye. Thank
4: you.